Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Alex Gehring. And I'm Bobby Howe. Hi, up, Bobby. Doing just fine. How are you doing? Doing okay. Anything exciting going on in your world? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Uh, just, just busy. It's the middle of the crazy time. Yeah. It's, well, I decided nuts. to take on an additional level of craziness in the middle, in the crazy, in the middle of the crazy. What, crazy what's that? What are you crazy. doing? I don't even know how we even word this anymore. What'd you do? So I was um, selected for their team last year, but then it got canceled due to the pandemic. And I actually took someone's spot. And I knew that if it happened this year, they would most likely get their spot back. And so I, there would not be a spot for me for this thing. And so it was fine because it was a totally crazy idea and I shouldn't be doing it. Well, it's happening this year. Other person got their spot back, but then someone else had to back out and I was first on the wait list. And so um, in August, I'm doing this crazy relay race called Hood to Coast. And it is a 199 mile relay race from the top of Mount Hood in Oregon down to the beach at the Pacific Ocean. So you run from a mountain to the ocean. There are 12 people splitting this up. You run three different legs during the time you run 24 hours a day. Um, there's two vans of people. So we'll be sleeping in vans and showering or wet wiping. We, ca we call those prison baths. So we'll be prison <laughs> in the van for two days, essentially going 199 miles. But thankfully we're running down the mountain. I mean, there's still some slopes, but it's down a mountain as opposed to up the mountain. And then we end in the ocean. So can like, I, why, why? Um, because Maura and Neil asked me to, I guess. Holy crap. So, you, so you know, you know, out of Oregon, you know, Colin Mullane. Um, do you know Colin? You should know Colin. He's big with NAR. So he's, he's wanted to put together this team for quite some time, but it, it always sells out. This is sold out for 30 years in a row. And it always sells out within the first 12 hours of this going up for whatever. And it's like 2000 teams or something like that. And he's been wanting to do this. And they finally got chosen in the lottery to have a team. And so our team is made up of past NAR presidents, such as um, Ron Phipps. It's made up of future NAR presidents, such as Kevin Sears. And then there's, just, and there's some NAR staff on it, but it's 12 people that are all connected just through NAR. And it's the last weekend in August. And <laughs> I really, I was Good really Lord. excited last year when they canceled due to the pandemic. So I was like, oh, I don't have to go look like an idiot with these people. And then, because I was taking Mara's spot because Mara was supposed to be doing it she was going to be in Scotland. And so uh, Bobby would take my spot. Sure. And then pandemic hits. And then, then Mara got her spot back and then somebody else pulled out this year. So now I'm, Jeez. I got in and I'm Jeez. supposed to be excited about it. And I'm scared well, to death. You probably are excited. And when was the last time you were able to really do, do one of these, do any kind of a, you know, you're a runner. What it was the last my, time you did a runner thing last time. Well, so I did the, um, the Dopey Challenge with Mara and Heather Ozer, who's also on the team. We did the Dopey Challenge January 2020. So it's been, it's been a year and three months. It's, and, yeah. and since then, I've ran maybe a handful of times, like two miles here, three miles there, like so nothing like. Walk us through your routine to get prepped for this thing. I mean, what are, what are you doing every day to get yourself going? I ran yet two miles yesterday. Um, that was, as I just found out. So um yeah, so I'll start having to add running back in and um, some strength training and uh, some relax. I'll have to have some spa days for some massages. Um, and then we just found out also, and this goes on sale next 
well, this, the podcast will already happen by the time this goes on sale, but the Boston marathon is like the marathon every year that people like, it's a bucket list for people. However, to run the Boston marathon, you get in one of two ways. Either you qualify because you are insanely fast, which it's like three and a half hours for most people or less, which my personal best of marathon is about five hours. So really fast, or you, uh, raise money for a charity. And you usually have to raise at least $10,000 to get a charity bib to run Boston. People just don't get to run Boston. Well, with pandemic, so they're going to do the Boston marathon this year. They moved it from uh, earlier in the year, April Patriots day back to um, October and they're going to limit it to 20,000 people, but they're adding a virtual option this year and they're going to allow 70,000 people to do it. And if you run the Boston marathon virtually, you can actually get the Boston marathon medal, which is, you know, that this is a bucket list for me thing. And so Mara and I, again, Mara and I are supposed to be in San, uh, San Diego. It's SD, South Dakota, the weekend that you have to run this virtual one. And so I'm trying to convince Mara to run this virtual Boston marathon with me in South Dakota. We'll be in Sioux Falls. We're going to see if Brandon Martins will set up a course for us. And then we can get our Boston marathon medals. Good so, Lord. You know, just 26 miles through uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's fine. Well, you do, you certainly know how to add things onto your, to your life. You know, but <laughs> running is, I, here's the thing. I hate running. I hate getting up in the morning. I hate getting dressed. I hate leaving the house. I hate the actual act of running. I love how I feel when I get back to my front door and it, it, it's a good stress relief for me. And when I start getting really um, uptight, my husband will tell me, go run. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want, and I don't ever, here's the thing is I don't ever want to go run. I don't ever want to do the activity, but I like the result from the activity. And that's what keeps mm. me doing it. I was actually just doing some coaching stuff with someone and they were talking about, even with like realtors, no one likes doing the activities of real estate. No one likes cold calling or knocking on doors or doing any of the lead generation activities that are considered actual true work. No one likes doing those but you have to like the results or want the results enough that you'll put yourself through the task of doing the activities. If you ever find a real estate guru telling you they love making those 400 calls a day, Nonsense. they're lying to you or Huge check lies. back in six months and they're probably not doing it. No one likes doing it, but you have to do it if you truly are bought into what you want to do. And if I'm truly bought into wanting that unicorn and that's what's on the, the Boston marathon, their, their motto, their, slogan, their mascot, that's the word, is a unicorn. That's what their, their thing is on their medal every year. It's a unicorn. So if you truly want that unicorn medal, Bobby, you're going to get up and go run and you're going to curse every day. There you go. Well, Bobby, we had a super interesting uh, episode today and we've, we've we had, let's, let's kind of preface this a little bit. Um, so, so we've had Sharice Davids on the call uh, or, or on the podcast before. Yep. We've had uh, Emmanuel Cleaver, Yep. on the podcast before um and today anybody and tony else Lukemeyer. who tony tony lukemeyer tony lukemeyer that's right i wasn't able to be here for that episode that's why and i, I wasn't remember. either we had two guests for that that's right we had jennifer and jeff uh came on to sub for us on that one um and today uh we have senator jerry moran of kansas um uh, on the podcast so yep. um we're very excited to have uh, another one of our uh, 
another somebody else who represents us in Washington uh, mm -hmm. here, and, and we're honored to have him on. So I'm really excited about that. Excited to talk to him about how he got started in politics. Um, excited to talk to him about his experience with real estate, and excited to share with him and, and maybe hear from him uh, what they can do in Washington to maybe help us with our uh, inventory woes here um, in Kansas City and yep. across the entire country. Yep, we need something. We need some help somehow. That's right. That's right. So I'm, I'm kind of pumped for that. Yep. But guess what? What? Do you have a book bit? I do. <gasps> you always know when I say, guess what? And I always know now. Now I, that's, that's the deal. I always you're know. You're like Pavlov's dog. I say, guess what? And you're like, oh yeah, book bit. For my dog, it's, are you ready? Are you, are you ready? Mm -hmm. The audience can't see me, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm twitching heavily and, and twitching. moving. Moving. At least you're not twerking. It's fine. Um, I, didn't, I didn't say twerking. You tw said twitching. Twitching. Sign. For my dog, all you have to there's no words yet that get him really, really excited. But if my husband goes and changes clothes, it doesn't matter what he changes from or to, but if my husband changes clothes, the dog assumes there's a walk getting ready to happen and he just gets so excited and he jumps up <laughs> and down. And if you change clothes, that means a walk. There's going to be a walk. And it's like oh he's disappointed more often than not because it's like, oh. sorry, but he's going to work or he's going to bed or whatever. Poor pup. Well, so you got a book bit. I do have a book bit. And I'm going to bet you've heard of this one. Oh. I picked one that people have heard. Sometimes I have like these weird ones that like nobody's ever heard of. And then sometimes I pick ones we've heard of before. And then I go, wait, wow. I haven't done that one yet. That's how, what I do every time. You always keep us guessing, Bobby. Mm-hmm. All right. Do, 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 Bobby's book bit. Casey. You know, if I had planned this better, I could have brought the cat back in my office and made her do the rare. Just squeeze her a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, you wouldn't have to squeeze her. No. Okay. Oh no, she would have. She would have just probably done it on her own. She she was chatty earlier today. I don't know why. All right. So my book. Don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. So this book will keep you from letting the little stressful things in life, like your email inbox, drive you insane and help you find peace and calm in a stressful world. And I I chose this book because even though. We're about a month after Recharge. I spoke at Recharge on um, Lessons from the Other Side, and I talked a lot about mental health. And I thought this was a good book as a reminder now that we're a month out from Recharge that there are little things we can do to help ourselves on a daily basis. So my quote from this book, and I, this is actually probably one of my all-time favorite quotes even though I say that a lot, especially in my speeches, I always say one of my all-time favorite quotes, but this is ranked up there. This would be like in the top 25 favorite quotes. Stress is nothing more than a socially acceptable form of mental illness. And we all do it. We all accept yeah. all this stress and we all accept everyone else having stress, but that stress really is a truly a form of mental illness in our lives. So lesson number one, I always say it, real estate, but from the book, this is what they say. Remember that your life isn't an emergency. Real estate's not an emergency and your life is not an emergency. You have to be focused. Do you have to be focused and disciplined and work hard every day so that you can beat the competition? No, you don't have to do that every day. Your life's not an emergency. So stop treating every day like you're driving an ambulance, rushing from one stop to the next, trying to please 
everyone, that's the key word there, everyone all the time and cater to everyone else's needs. You only end up overworking yourself and crashing from the stress. And this is especially true with what we're going through right now. Instead, this is, this is so difficult. I actually just attempted to do this yesterday and I drove myself crazy. But instead, try to make yourself bored on purpose. Force yourself not to do anything for an hour or two. Put down the phone, put down the laptop, turn off the TV, just sit in some silence, okay? You're going to drive yourself crazy at first, but after a while, you'll see the freedom and peace it brings for being able to do just nothing. Lesson number two, and this is, I, I remind myself of this one on a constant basis and I fail more often than I succeed, but I try to remind myself of this one. Lesson two, give others a break, especially when they don't deserve it. When someone cuts you off in traffic or the police officer writes you a parking ticket one minute after your parking thing came up or the clerk to give the them post- a break. Yes. You got to give them a break. Or the clerk at the post office who's just moving extra slow and you are in a rush and why is the post office always so slow? I, my, my anxiety goes through the roof at the post office. I'm you what? I'm but dying you're, here. You're giving me anxiety just saying these talking things. Talking about it. I know, right? You're thinking about it. So, but just when you're about to completely lose it, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Maybe they got horrible news that morning. Maybe they got a cancer diagnosis. Maybe they've got news that their uncle had died. How would you feel if you were in their shoes? Give others a break when they least deserve it because that's when they need it most. The best way to treat yourself best is to treat others well. And I know when I calm down and I'm extra kind to those people, I actually calm down myself, even though it seems like it should be the exact opposite. But whenever we get angry at the situations already happening, that just keeps building everything up. Or if we just let it go and realize I'm going to get to wherever I'm going to get when I get there, it's going to be what it is. And lesson three. This one actually ties back to lesson one, but it's a different way to think about things. Do not procrastinate on relaxing. We procrastinate on so many things, but has it ever occurred to you that relaxing might also be one of them? Instead of only relaxing on weekends or holidays, take a break when you actually need it. Have you had an extra long, stressful day? Take the next morning off. Most, because real estate's not an emergency, just like life's not an emergency, most things can wait a little bit longer than what you think they can. And sometimes when you put them off, some of the fires start to burn themselves out anyways. So when you're extra stressed, just stop for a second. Breathe. Remember what's truly important. Or just take five minutes and call your mom or a friend. Say hi. Tell them you love them. That will bring you down so much quicker than anything else. And yes, you truly can be relaxed even when you're busy. It's all about your mindset. So don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff. That's my book pick. It's a good one, Bobby. And as hard as that is, and I gave you a hard time, but it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. You never know what people are going through. Yeah. It's really hard. That's why I said I fail at that one more than I succeed at it. But when I do succeed at it, I feel so much better because that person's going to remember that grace that you gave them in that moment because probably the rest of the day, they're going to deal with other people to them all day long. And they'll remember that one person that stood out and gave them some grace in that moment. I just, I have to point this out because I don't think, and we only have a few minutes before the senator comes on, but I got to point it out. This is the second episode in a row, in a row that I cussed that somebody said the S word. Have we earned our, a, a red E officially? Have we, Amber, what's the threshold for the red? Wait, I didn't e? think I said it in the last one. No, but Natalie did. 
Oh. I didn't even catch it when she said it. I can uh. bleep it because we would go to the ready if we had if we had the S word. Okay, so sorry, you're gonna have to bleep me. <laughs> the senator's not on right now, is he? No. No. Nope. Okay. All right. Oh, that's good. But we'll be right back with Senator Jerry Moran. Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk. We are here with Senator Jerry Moran. Thank you so much, Jerry, for taking time to be here with us today. Um, we've been trying to get you booked for so long that I think the anticipation is just even extra excited just to have you here with us. I just, yay, it's finally happening. Um, <laughs> you're, you're so good. I'm so glad to join you. And it is uh, nice to have Real Talk. You know, I work in Washington, D.C., so Real talk will be a new experience for me, and I, I prefer that to what I have to experience on a day-to-day -day basis in the nation's capital. Uh, understood and duly noted. Uh, Senator Rand, tell us a little bit about your history, where you're from, how you got into politics, why you stay in politics. Just tell us everything we need to know about you. Well, Bobby, you're, you're nice to ask. There's not a, there's not a fascinating story here, but uh, I, I grew up in a small town in western Kansas, I would be very rural by uh, today's standards. And uh, what I knew about the world the, back then was what I read in books, uh, what I may have seen uh, at the occasional movie I got to go to and, and uh, a bit on television. But I grew up uh, sitting on the steps of a Carnegie library in my small town and got fascinated by the rest of the world. And uh, I happened to, uh, to see a KU basketball game when I was in high school, which caused me to want to go to a, a campus that had something called uh, Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, and so I could watch basketball during my college uh, years. Uh, I graduated, I returned uh, home uh, and uh, worked for a, a community bank uh, and I became a banker. And uh, I worked at a couple of banks and then I decided to go to law school, which I did. And then I came to Kansas City and practiced law in uh, then what was one of the largest firms in Kansas City, then called Stinson, Mag and Fazell. Uh, and those firms all have different names, uh, today and different folks, but I practiced in the largest firm in uh, nearly the largest firm in Kansas City. And after a few years, three or so, I decided to go back home. I returned to Hayes uh, and became uh, a, a member of a law firm in the largest firm in Hayes. So we went from whatever it was, hundreds of lawyers in Kansas City to five uh, in, uh, in uh, Hayes. And I practiced a very general practice, including uh, representing lots of homeowners and home sellers. Uh, realtors uh, engaged in the normal day uh, to day life of how people live and um, a lot of transactional kind of work, both in Kansas City and uh, at home. Uh, in the process of practicing law in Kansas City, I met my wife, who is uh, uh, from Independence, Missouri. She was uh, a Duke Law School uh, student when I met her, and she was a clerk at the firm. And uh, so the thing we have in common is we never lived in the same town once we started dating uh, until we got married. So uh, we are accustomed, unfortunately, to being apart, which is continued in this job I have. So I'm a, I'm a small town banker. I have a law degree and I've practiced uh, law and uh, mostly with the goal of trying to take care of people as they solve their everyday problems uh, in their life. A little bit different in Kansas City in the large firm than back in the, in the uh, hometown. And um, you know, I return, when I returned to, to Hayes, I got involved in my community. One thing led to another, got acquainted with people, served on the library board and the Chamber of Commerce and the Rotary Club and the Lions Club and did the things that we do in, in kind of middle America. And one thing led to another. I was elected to the state Senate, uh, served a couple uh, terms in Topeka, became the majority of the Kansas Senate, was ready to get out and try to earn a living, uh, raise a family. 
And about that time, an open seat occurred in the U.S. House of Representatives in that congressional district, and I was elected uh, to Congress, and I served 14 terms, uh, I'm sorry, not 14 terms, 14 years, seven terms uh, in uh, the House of Representatives, again, ready to, uh, to get out of politics, get out of that aspect of public service, and go home and earn a living. And lo and behold, a Senate seat opened up, I had the conversation with the wife, should we do this? And uh, so in 2010, Kansans elected me to serve in the United States Senate. And uh, this, I'm, I'm in my second term. So uh, it's been about 10 years that I've served the United States Senate. I really am, while I have no choice, uh, nor do Kansans or Missourians have a choice, we're gonna have to deal with national and international issues. A lot of what I'm about is just trying to make certain that the places that we all call home, from Johnson County, Kansas to Johnson City, Kansas, which is from the Colorado border to the Missouri border, that we have um, an opportunity for uh, the American dream to be lived, that the things that we wanna do with our lives are, are available to us. We can pursue those dreams, not that there's a guarantee of success, but we wanna make the chances of, encourage the chances of, of uh, success of, of pursuing your dream uh, more achievable. And in the process of people pursuing their dreams, help other, other Americans, other Kansans uh, pursue their dreams. So we're about the, kind of the normal things. I often think of myself as kind of like a chamber of commerce. I'm here to help. We're here to make good things happen. We want the community to grow. We want the services to be there. We want business to locate here. And I appreciate the chance to spend some time with the uh, realtors uh, across Kansas. And they've been a significant component of my personal and political life. Uh, and uh, almost, I can't think of the exception, but I'll just to be safe, I'll say almost without exception, uh, we're, we're firmly aligned with the kind of issues that realtors care about, which is uh, helping people get in a home and pursue their American dream. I love it. Thank you so much for that background, uh, Senator Moran. You know, one of the, one of the questions I have, um, obviously there's a lot of media surrounding uh, the inventory shortage across the country right now. And I know that you're very passionate about uh, our veterans. Um, and one of the, and in fact, uh, you're, uh, are you chair of the Veterans uh, Committee? Is that correct? Uh, that has been correct, but there was this thing called an election where the Republicans are no longer in the majority. And so sure. I became the ranking Republican, the ranking uh, Republican on the Veterans Committee as compared to its chairman but uh, we're fully engaged in issues that affect those who served our country. Absolutely. And one of the things that we're experiencing uh, here in Kansas City, and it's very unfortunate that it's the case with the inventory shortage being what it is. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of realtors and there are a lot of homeowners that have a stigma that they've attached to a VA loan. And so we have a lot of veterans that are uh, really struggling uh, to, uh, you know, benefit from, uh, you know, the, the dream of homeownership um, right now. And so I was kind of curious if there are things that you guys have in the works in Washington or, or what, what you're looking at to help improve um, inventory shortage, maybe in terms of new home construction, uh, looking at tariffs to get more supplies in the hands of builders, um, wh whatever it may be. I'm kind of curious what you guys are thinking about in terms of that in Washington. Alex, we want home ownership to be as available as it can be for a broad set of Kansans and Missourians for Americans. Uh, and I appreciate you highlighting the, the role that we play in trying to make sure that veterans, the, they, they allowed us to pursue our dreams. We wanna make sure that they have the opportunity to pursue theirs. Um, and I'm certainly aware of the housing shortage. Uh, I have a, a brother-in-law who's a realtor in, in Johnson County. Uh, he's explained this to my wife, who's explained it to me. 
uh, and we now live in Manhattan, Kansas, and uh, we've received two letters in the mail just within the last uh, two and a half weeks uh, talking about the shortage of housing supply and if now's the time to put your home on the market, which we wouldn't be opposed to doing if we knew where we were going to move uh, once we sold our house, which I mean highlights for me the challenge that everybody has. It's, it's, I suppose it's nice to be able to say, uh, my home is, has increased in value, but if you're looking for another place to live, so has that home. And so there's a difficulty to, you know, to benefit from that. And you know, my wife even said, well, we could go live in an apartment, but we also know what's happening in that regard. The shortage of rental uh, space, occupancy is, uh, is high and the, and the stock is low. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's a wide array of things. I mean, one I assume is that people coming out of COVID are interested in uh, you know, things getting back to normal. Uh, there's a better understanding of, of what might be a place to live. And I, I, my view is that there's people from across the country who are finding the Midwest uh, more desirable, less dense population, more uh, less likely to have uh, COVID complications. And so there's a demand for housing in our area. But I would say the best thing we can do is, um, and, and then with interest rates, I shouldn't forego that, with interest rates, uh, where, while they've inched up a bit, uh, they're still pretty historically low. And uh, while I wouldn't be surprised with all the money that the federal government uh, is spending, uh, and it's spending by borrowing it from somebody else, that we'll see some inflation uh, return to our economy, which probably means rising interest rates. So there probably is increased demand because people see this as a moment in which before interest rates rise, we can get uh, into a new home. My view is that the best thing we can do is to keep the cost of home ownership uh, low, uh, the cost of building a home low. And by that, we mean uh, certainly available land and opportunities for that land to be developed. But all the things that now environmentally and regulatorily cost money for a developer to, to build new housing stock, uh, we need to make sure that we're not doing things that are unnecessary, that lack common sense and based upon uh, kind of the right kind of policies to make certain that there are opportunities for builders to build homes. And then the, 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 the cost of lumber, in part, uh, obviously because of the demand, but in part because of tariffs. Uh, and so we're working to, to convince the Commerce Department. I, I chair, I started to say I chair, Alex, but I no longer chair. I'm now the ranking Republican on the subcommittee that funds the Department of Commerce. So I have a particular opportunity to try to influence the tariff decisions uh, as it relates to lumber uh, so that we don't have a artif an artificial higher price of the important component of building new homes, lumber. Um, taxes, I don't, I don't course, actually think that a lot of our, our, our listenership probably realizes that tariffs were at 24% for Canadian lumber at one point. You guys got it down to about 9%, um, which, which sure helps a lot, but, um, but that's, that's a step in the right direction, that's for sure. It is a step in the right direction, but again, 9% added on to the cost. I mean, uh, again, the square foot cost just goes up every time the, the cost of lumber goes up, and tariffs is a component of that. So that's a, that is an example of, of where government policy has made uh, housing more expensive. Uh, and so we're looking for the opportunities to try to reduce the, the cost of what it takes to build a home and to live in a home uh, so that more people can, can afford. And I suppose, I mean, when you mentioned the, the veterans, then there are loan programs. VA is a pretty uh, good example of one in which it helps people in most times be able to, to better afford a home. But it sounds like from what you're telling me, Alex, that 
even those programs now are insufficient to, to make it affordable for many veterans to access housing. And this conversation will send me to my veterans committee uh, staff to see if there's more that we can do in order to make sure that those VA loans are something that still work well for those who served. I appreciate that. I oh, think that's important. Thank you. And I know Alex has to run. Alex is not upset. Alex has an appointment and Alex has to run. So just uh, Alex, you, Alex, you must have off. a house you can sell. <laughs> Thank you so much, Senator Moran, for being with us. I appreciate well, thanks. it. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, but going back to the VA thing, what we're discovering right now is that VA home buyers are being horribly discriminated against versus conventional and cash buyers. Um, which for those of us that support our veterans and support our military, we hate seeing that. But there are a lot of agents who still are under some misconceptions that the VA has stronger, harder guidelines and that it's going to be harder for the deal to close than if they just obviously took cash for even a conventional loan. And I actually just had a, a, an agent in my office reach out to me earlier this week to say, hey, aren't VA buyers a protected class? Which financing is not a protected class. And yet it's something we keep seeing come up and up again. And those of us for our military, it breaks our hearts to see this happening. So it's... And Jeff, you can even give your own experiences with VA. Bobby, let me, let me see before Jeff does that, if, if I understand what you're saying, which is that if you have two, two or more uh, interested parties in buying a house and one of them is going to be financed by a VHA loan, then there may be discrimination or a, a, a choice to, to, to go with the other purchaser who does not going to use the, the VA and that, I was worried that you're going to say that the bureaucracy and time-consuming nature of a VHA loan is something that's creating a problem, but it's just that it is uh, perhaps uh, easier to take the cash in hand than to go through the process of waiting for a VA loan to be approved. Well, I think also, I think also, Senator, it's, it's the perception. I mean, a conventional loan versus a VA loan. A VA loan is a government loan. The perception is a government loan is going to have more, more things attached to it than a conventional or a cash transaction. And so- That government red tape. Exactly. Right. So it's unfortunate that have, just having it tagged to the government means it's bad. And so I think that's what we're seeing you know, overall. But you as a, as a realtor would tell me that it is not more cumbersome than a conventional loan. Very good. Yeah. I'll see if I can't help spread that word among veterans uh, in our work. That'd be great. Thank you. And it's and just frustrating on our end because the sellers and the and the realtors as well. Yeah, and and a lot of it's even within our own industry, and it's educating our own members. But they're out there, and it's it's it, most properties are getting four, ten, twelve offers on a property, and if there's that many offers coming in, the VA buyers out first. The but, FHA yeah. buyer is out. Well, actually, yeah. FHA buyer is probably out first. Then the VA buyer is out second, and then after that, and it's like these poor VA buyers, they just can't get anything bought right now. I've um, been an FHA closing agent uh, in my life and uh, recognize that, that uh, why that may be the case. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're very, you're very, it's very true, uh, you know, what she's saying out there. And I just got notification this morning, there were 41 offers on a property over here in my neck of the woods. And uh, it's just, it, it really puts, it, it puts those buyers at a disadvantage. A question I had for you, Senator, how what's going on in Washington now with the change in the administration? Um, do you do you see you see yourself being able to work across the aisle? Do you you see both parties coming together to try get some things done here in the next four years? Or, or are we starting to get past that the election portion of it? And now we're let's get to work and get some things accomplished for the American people. 
Jeff, one of the things we learned that happened in the election due to Alex's question is that uh, Republicans are no longer chairman of committee, chairmen or women of committees. So uh, he drug that out of me. But uh, <laughs> there are plenty of opportunities for us to work together. Uh, and in fact, uh, the Veterans Committee, I was the, the chairman of the Veterans Committee. John Tester, a Democrat from Montana, was the ranking Democrat. When this switched, uh, we just changed roles and our working relationship is no different. We're still uh, fully engaged in trying to solve the problems that, uh, that veterans have and to make sure that the promises that were made to them are kept. And there's plenty of examples of that. I'm in, in most pieces of legislation that I introduce, I will work to find a Democrat, whether, whether I was in the minority or the majority, uh, whether the Republicans were in the majority or the Democrats were in the majority, I try to find a Democrat to work on, on a piece of legislation because if you remember from perhaps a high school government class, it takes 60 votes to pass uh, something in the United States Senate, which means there are, I mean, there's, it's a 50-50 split right now, which means to, you got to get 10 of the other side, whichever side you're on, to pass a piece of legislation. So the only way to do it is in a bipartisan way. And that means a bit of give and take. You know, we just passed a, a one point, the Senate just passed, I, I, I did not vote for it, but a $1.9 trillion uh, package in further COVID relief. And uh, while I thought there was uh, need for additional assistance, I thought $1.9 trillion is a lot of money. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to avoid where the realtors and home buyers and the mortgage, uh, those people with an adjustable mortgage will come to me and complain in the future that interest rates are now such that we can't afford to make our payments. And that will be a result of the, certainly the monetary policy by the Federal Reserve, but importantly, by the fiscal policy of Congress. Do we continue to spend more money than we have? And so 10 of us, 10 Republicans, uh, we decided to, to have our own proposal that's about 40% uh, of that 1.9 trillion, more focus, less spending, uh, less expensive. And uh, we spent two hours in the Oval Office with President Biden uh, trying to see if there was a bipartisan way to get to something different than where we started. And I think there's plenty of opportunities for that to happen. It didn't happen in the COVID-19 uh, $1.9 trillion bill. In part, I would say not, I would, I would tell you that I think probably President Biden was more interested in trying to find a bipartisan package than Speaker Pelosi or uh, Majority Leader Schumer. So our problems may be internally, plus every president wants his first bill, his first proposal to become law, and it's a kind of a bragging right. I told you I was gonna do this and I did it. So that may not be the perfect place for us to start, but I would just use that to highlight that uh, 10 of us spent uh, you know, now more than a month, four or five weeks, uh, including meetings with our Democrat colleagues and meetings with the president, trying to find a bipartisan solution to where we are in, in COVID relief. And I think there are, again, plenty, uh, a lot of opportunities uh, for that to continue. It is still a very partisan place. The country's more divided than I think it has been in the past. I don't know what all the causes for that are, social media and uh, the nightly news and people, I think COVID, this will sound odd coming for me, but people have become so fixated with politics by social media and the news that it's their focus. And so you sit at home and watch what's going on and of course you get mad. Uh, and the, my view is we need to be back out and about. Our economy needs to recover. Uh, people need to feel comfortable going to a restaurant. My, my view, the so solution to that is the vaccine. Uh, and the more people that get vaccinated, vac vaccinated and the sooner it happens, the more we are back to normal. I was in Johnson County at the, at the vaccination center uh, in uh, Shawnee, 
a couple of weeks ago and just, you know, asking people, how does it feel to be vaccinated? And among, among other answers to that question, a lot of it was, I get to hold my grandkids again. And, you know, but it's just like a guy told me that he hadn't been to a restaurant in over a year. Just, I'm just so excited to be able to go out and go to a restaurant. And we all need that sense that it's okay. And that comes with uh, us uh, and the vaccination. So I think we're getting there. And perhaps people, while they always should be interested in what's going on in Washington or Topeka or the, you know, you all realtors know that it's important for your business, your profession to pay attention to what decisions are made here, but it ought not be the end all be all. And we need people about their normal lives and perhaps our politics will be a bit more normal. And, you know, I agree with you 100%. I think we all could agree with you and we all see it happening that we are never been as divided as we are right now. I watched in a Facebook group today, people become com have a complete meltdown and a fight over whether you use a top sheet or not on your bed. Like we can fight over anything nowadays and we are choosing to, and it's just such a weird thing. And I, I think you're right. The more that we can, well, you know, they get back to normal. I don't like saying that normal, but the right. more that we can get out and that we can engage as human beings again, I think you'll start seeing people calm down. I had lunch with my best friend for the first time in six months recently and just, the effect that that had on me having lunch with my best friend was absolutely amazing. Um, I want to thank you for some of your insights of what's going on in DC that I, I always love knowing what's going on behind the scenes, but I want to transition to a question. I would love to know since you're speaking to realtors, tell us about some of your experiences in real estate. Do you have any really good stories, anything that's interesting happened to you when you've been buying a house or selling? Well, I wish I was more successful in like real estate development. I'm not a real estate developer developer, but I have, um, my wife and I have purchased uh, three homes over the years. Uh, all those transactions involve the use of a realtor. Uh, and they were, uh, again, I have, a, uh, I have a wife who has a law degree and I have a law degree, but the, the capabilities of a realtor to make sure the transaction goes smoothly and that you're protected uh, from uh, any kind of, of problems down the road is very comforting. So no, no particular, um, uh, stories other than the poor realtor that uh, this would be a Hayes realtor who spent, I would guess she showed us 140 houses. Uh, and I feel badly still today for putting a realtor through that work. Uh, but, uh, and I suppose in, in that case for such little reward when it was all over, but uh, realtors have been friends of mine and our families personally. We, as I say, we have relatives who are realtors. I've been a closing agent uh, myself, and it's just fun to watch in that setting when people are excited, particularly first-time home buyers. And I know that's a challenge today with the markets that you've described, but the, there is a sense of accomplishment, a sense of fulfillment that comes when you and your spouse, uh, maybe a, a kid on the way or a couple of kids already with you for the first time get to see, you know, there are realtor ads in which you see the, the homeowners with the kids uh, and they see the home they bought for the first time and they're moving in. It's just a great feeling. It's a part of the American experience that we want to make sure everybody has. And so the profession you are uh, representing, the profession that you're a part of, uh, has a great opportunity to get satisfaction out of good things happening in individual lives, in family lives. And it, uh, so I commend and congratulate you uh, fortunately, because I had a realtor involved, there was no problems and no stories to tell. That's, that's, now I'm going to tell you, great, though. That's great to hear. Also, 
either you haven't bought a house in a long time or I'm moving to Hayes because the fact that you had 140 houses to look at to me is amazing. So if that was recent, I am, I am booking the next little flight out to Hayes and I'm going to be the newest hot realtor in town. Jeff, uh, it may surprise you, but I have a, a, a title that's sometimes called politician and occasionally we exaggerate. So I may have stated it, but I think it was at least 101 because it was more than 100. You know, our, uh, in, in Manhattan where we live now, uh, the story from the letter from the realtors is we normally would have 400 houses, 440 houses on the market at this point in time, and there's uh, 100, 101 or two. Uh, so, I mean, it just, again, demonstrates that to me. And, and at some point in time, um, although I've suggested to my wife that, uh, that we only have one more move left in us, and maybe it should be to assisted living, but we haven't, we haven't reached that conclusion yet. So we have one more home to buy, and I don't know what point in time that is, but again, it's the, this experience of, you know, if our house is appreciated in value, it's in demand, therefore it's going to bring more money. But there, that, that really is kind of a so what? Uh, because you still want to have some place to live. Yeah, exactly. And, and just to give you a perspective here, we should have between twenty and 24,000 houses on the market in Kansas City. And last check, we were under 5,000. So wow. uh, that just a little perspective. on. Let me ask before, before you sound like you're getting ready to, to have me depart. Let me ask, do you have suggestions uh, about what more than what I said that, we, that I should be doing, that we should be doing to help realtors put uh, homeowners in homes? Home Bobby, buyers in homes. Do you want to go first, Bobby? Or you know, I, I wish because we're talking numbers, and I actually just pulled numbers for uh, comparative. I'm getting ready to list a property next week. Um, I'm up in St. Joe, Missouri, so a smaller community, but we're still a fairly decent sized community. And between 160 and 210,000, which is around our average sales price here in St. Joe, it's our sweet spot. We can sell stuff all day long. I have six properties for sale. That's it, and it's good for my seller. Uh, as they're moving out of the community, they have a place to go. I wish I knew, I wish I had um, a magic eight ball that I could look at and know this is what we need because we are in this vicious cycle of, yes, you can get more money for your house, but you have nowhere to go. And so we're seeing a lot of people even go live with family until the market loosens up a little bit, just so they can take advantage of all that equi extra equity they have. Or I've actually had several families recently go and sell their home, buy an RV, and they're gonna travel around the country in an RV for the next year or so until the market calms down. So there has to be some way to get more inventory in. And whether that's we loosen up some rules on 1031 exchanges so we can get some people out there that are, they got all this inventory that they're holding on to, And if we can find a way to get some of that inventory into the market, that, I don't know exactly how we do it, but there's gotta be some mechanism to get more inventory. The well, 1031 is a pretty good suggestion. Thanks. Yeah, you've got a pent up, you've got a pent up supply of rental property. The people that are starting to get to that age where they're starting, they want to release those, but they're also looking at the tax consequences of letting go of that rental property. So they're holding on to that. Uh, you know, of course, again, uh, building supply, we're not keeping up with that. In my, in the small communities I work in, Bonner Springs and Edwardsville, that's, those are two communities of about uh, 12 to 14,000. There is one house on the market right now in, in communities that, that have 12 to 14,000 people and there is one house available to get. I know a little less about St. Joe than I know about uh, Edgerton uh, and Gardner and that area and it is a growth area. I mean there's a lot of demand just because of the economic activity that uh, is occurring in the neighborhood and so I mean that's good news 
but it creates this challenge uh, in housing. And you know, normally at a time like this, I assume that people would stay in rental property or 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 enter the rental market. But even that is uh, unaffordable as well. So I, I hadn't thought about. It. I'm going to call my kids and say, "Well, I talked to a couple of realtors, and they think the best option is for me to move in with you." Uh, so we'll see how, how this works out. Well, and, and Senator, I want to thank you as well. Every time we've ever visited with you, you, you always seem to know our uh, issues. You're very informed about real estate. And, and, I, and personally, I just appreciate that. When they asked me you know, about having you on, I said, you know, Senator Moran knows what he's talking about. If we all get stage fright when he goes on, he will be able to carry us through a 20 to 30 minute podcast. And we don't have to say a word because he knows that much about our industry. And, and for that, I thank you for being so up on what we do. Uh, Jeff, you're welcome, but I, I, I think this podcast was supposed to be 10 to 15 minutes, and so you uh, just said that I would carry it on twice as long as was expected. I'm sorry. There you go. Bobby? And Senator Moran, I do want to be respectful of your time because I know you, you, you have a much busier plate than even I could even begin to imagine, um, but there's one question I ask all of our guests at the very end, and that is, what else? What else should we be talking about? What else should we have asked you about that we haven't asked about today? Or what else do you just want to talk about? It's open-ended, free, free for all. You're, you're nice to do that. I, I mentioned this uh, somewhat in passing, but again, I'm very anxious. Uh, you're right to, say, to not to say back to normal, but I'm anxious for, I mean, the things that we've been doing in Washington, D.C. to respond to COVID-19 are very expensive, and it will have a consequence to our kids and grandkids down the road. We need a growing economy to, to pay the bills. But what that means is that uh, we need to get people in a position in which they are, are able to go shop. Uh, they're able to buy a car. They're able to eat at a restaurant. They'll spend a night at a motel. They're uh, going to be flying on an airplane. They're going to be taking a vacation. And I just would encourage uh, people to, to act responsibly to, to, to keep us from uh, spreading any virus. But at the moment, it seems to me the most important thing we can do is get us to a, a point in which people are comfortable getting a vaccination. Uh, and the, the money that we've been spending is, is designed really in two ways, to try to help people and healthcare providers provide, meet their healthcare needs. And the other part is to meet the economic needs. And there was a number of things, including the PPP loans, the Paycheck Protection Loan, that really, I think, made a difference. And it's uh, certainly about keeping people working, keeping a, on a payroll. I also would say from a real estate point of view in the packages that we've been dealing with so far, I mean, these moratoriums on uh, rental payments, uh, no eviction, while those are well intended, it's not anything that, in, that can last a long time and it will exacerbate the problem of a shortage of rental properties if uh, landlords are not, being, are not receiving their rents. So things that can initially sound good and may be helpful in tidying people over momentarily create a longer term or an intermediate term problem that we ought not forget. Thank you for acknowledging that on the side of the landlords, because there are people that count on that income for their own survival. And when they don't receive it and there's not anything they can do, that certainly does lead to other problems on the other side. It's almost like we're sacrificing one class of, a, of citizens for another class. Great. You're nice um, to invite me to join you and I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for your time, Senator Moran. I'll let you get on with your day, but um, please know that you are welcome here anytime. So if you ever have something important that you wanna get out to our real estate community, you just let us know and we will make time for you. Bobby, thanks. I like that idea and we may take you up uh, to accomplish that. I'll try to be explaining myself. It's, I probably will be explaining myself about something sometime. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. Anytime. We, we, so, and we appreciate the work that you do. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you thank much. you, Jeff, very much. Thank you so much.